a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I am happy to welcome my fellow wrong thinker, Gary Welch, today. Hi, Gary. As always, glad to be promoting wrong think throughout the world. I think we need this more than ever. And, you know, there, there's a part of me that looks forward to a day when you and I get together and we're like, you know, everything's going so well. We really don't have that much to discuss. You know, we'll, we'll talk about uh, the, the price <laughs> yeah. of tea in China or something. But no, every week there is there is something big that's going on. And uh, this week is, is no exception. And uh, I, I know there are a number of different topics we wanted to talk about today. Uh, political accountability, nullification in the COVID crisis. Um, I, you posed a very interesting question when we were communicating earlier about how do we use local elections to promote nullification? And I'd like to start with that. That's a, nullification is a word I wish more people understood and furthermore didn't fear. But uh, talk to me about your take on, on nullification. What, what is the role that it plays in a free society? So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because to me, the wrong think and the wrong thinkers and the wrong think mentality is how do we go about making change? If all we're going to do is listen to talk show hosts like you and get on the radio and complain and gripe and say this is wrong and they shouldn't do this and then spit out all these things that they should be doing and could be doing but they're not, nothing's going to happen. You have to start taking action. At some point, this has got to be you push, we push back. Because if we don't push back, they will continue to push. And this last year has been so critical in that they started pushing really hard. I mean, they're pushing us down on the ground and they're, and they're thinking we can get away with this and we have to push back. Now, the, what, what would we call, you know, what I would classify as the left and, and those on that other side tend to are, are very comfortable with using things like violence and civil disobedience and rioting and things like that to push back. We, on the other hand, those of us that are law-abiding citizens, we, we have that frame of mind that we want to be good citizens and whatnot, tend to want to take a more gentle approach. But that's where I see nullification coming in. This is, this is a Gandhi approach. In fact, I was going to start referring to you as Brian Gandhi because I, I would like to, <laughs> for you to take that role. Put on your robes and, oh. and, and we would we will talk about this peaceful revolution because we still can have that. This is one of the things that I am really trying to promote very hard is that we don't have to get to violence. We don't have to have guns. They're not necessary right now. We are still in a situation where we could have this Gandhi type of peaceful resistance to our government and get results. And I think nullification is the way to do that. But here is the big misnomer about it. Everybody thinks that we have to have millions. 
And this is the one thing that the left and these radicals have all figured out, and that is you don't. You only need thousands. Look at your, your typical riot. I, one of the things that I always talk about with everyone is about how the lens of the news camera is very distorted, and it makes everything look much, much bigger than what it really is. You see a riot, and you think the entire city of Seattle has gone amok. I see a riot, and I see about a 1,000 individuals that are just out there making a, making a problem. They don't represent the city. They don't represent the population. They don't represent us. They just represent themselves, and it's only a 1,000 of them, and that's the only thing you can, can get from it. Hey, there's 1,000 people. They disagree. And that's the only thing you should take from it. But those perceptions are out there. And my thing is, why don't we do the same thing, but on a different level, which is you get enough people to sit there and say, this law is unconstitutional. This law violates my rights. This law is wrong. And we're not going to do that. And we can do it on local levels. If, we, if enough local levels do it, guess what? It doesn't happen. No, I I agree. We and and as you you mentioned, when we see the news portraying what's going on, for instance, in Portland, it's easy to to take that and and to use availability bias to to blow it up into wow, it's everywhere. You know, the whole world is falling apart when it when it really isn't. Now, I got to tell you something. I noticed this last uh, weekend, um, Saturday when there was the huge Trump rally in uh, Washington, D.C., and there was violence in the streets. You know, there were there were um, BLM and Antifa types lying in wait, looking for small groups or individuals that they could pinch off from the rest of the crowd and, and then go victimize. And uh, there was there was violence going both ways. The Proud Boys beat the crap out of a number of people. Gary, what disturbed me wasn't so much the violence as the recognition that uh, there were certain people, when I saw a video or I saw images of them lying on the ground bleeding, the satisfaction filled my heart. And I was like, good. And I, and I was like, whoa, that's dark. That is, that's not a place I want my heart to be. Um, and, and I only bring this up because I'm, I'm convinced that I'm being played. Someone's playing my emotions to where um, I would actually find a sense of, of satisfaction, not quite joy, but getting close in seeing another person, you know, get the stuffing beat out of them because they're behaving obnoxiously or violently. And, uh, and I got to tell you that that was a wake up call to me because I want to take the high ground. And, and I think what you're pointing out here is we have to if, if what we're doing is really worthwhile, we can't cut corners and expect to get a good result. That whole, you know, ends justify the means doesn't hold water if you want a good result that that can be counted on to be true. And it does go, violence allows the minority to perpetuate influence on the majority. So, and that's, it's, it's why people use it. It's a very good way. If you have a small group of people and you want to influence a large group of people, violence does that because we fear it we don't we don't want to be the victims we don't want to get hurt we don't want to get killed we don't want to get beat up and and we always you know do what you did you see that and you react to it like that could happen to me 
And one of the biggest problems that we have when we're trying to do a peaceful movement, and this happened with Gandhi, this happened with Martin Luther King, in that they're going to try to disrupt you by using violence. And you have to get ready for that. You have to be ready for it. But it does. It requires that higher call, that higher desire to say, I will not stoop down to your level and I will still get results. And both of those movements were successful, incredibly successful, because they took that higher road. I, 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 I remember having a conversation and talking with um, one of Martin Luther King's um, uh, daughters, and, and she was talking about that, and that her father was pressed all the time. Let's fight back. Let's strike back. Let's get them. Let's go kill those, those white pigs. Let's go after them. And every time he said, no, 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 that's not our way. That's their way. That's not our way. And we're going to we're going to be tempted. I mean, it's just going to be that. Well, I I want to see us have the kind of impact that makes a difference. And I know that there is fear. I can can predict this with with 100 percent certainty right now. Someone is listening to us right now going, guys. Guys, if someone is attacking you, you've got to be able to defend yourself. You've got to be able to fight back. And I agree with that on a level. The problem is when we when we adopt that that mentality, it pretty soon becomes, you know, our first line of, of, of uh, response. And if, if we're offering people something better than the existing situation, you know, like you say, a peaceful revolution, we got to have something a little bit higher than and then we pull out the clubs and we start, you know, knocking heads. That's a hard thing to ask of people. Well, but, right. But you have to look at it as if you deny them their goals, then you have ch- achieved success. And that's what you should be doing is how do I deny them their goals. You know, and, and that's what let's, let's talk about this at the other side of the break about how do we go about doing that? What is the right way of going about what's the wrong thinking way of doing that? Okay. Now, see, when you put it in terms like that, I feel like it almost takes on a certain noble sense. The wrong think way. Is, is there a wrong think way that we can accomplish this? It's, it's going to replace a little uh, bracelet, WWJD. How would a wrong thinker do this? Okay, maybe not. We'll be back. Gary Welsh is my guest. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm going to ask you, please hold your calls. I'm talking with Gary Welch right now, and we are uh, we're setting the stage here for some conversation. We will open the lines up a little bit later, but uh, we're talking about wrong think. And Gary, as we, we were going to break, we were talking about how there there are ways that we can accomplish what we have to do. You mentioned something as, as we were in the break that, that I think needs a little bit of exploring, and that is this can't be done while sitting comfortably within your comfort zone and and never ruffling a feather. So we we've tried to do things, and I think the biggest thing on the the liberty minded conservative side of things is doing the rallies. 
and writing to your legislators. That that's our modus operandi for for doing everything. Is let's hold a rally and let's write to them. And that's comfortable and that's easy. You get in a crowd, we all march around the park a little bit. Ra ra ra. Bad on you. We don't like this. And that's all within our comfort level. But here's my point. What has that got you? One of the things that we have to really understand, and this is critical, this is a critical wrong think process that everybody must go through, is that your legislators, your elected officials are not afraid of you. In fact, they hold you in contempt. You are nothing to them. And destroying your life obviously means nothing to them. That has been what rulers have done throughout millennia. And we know this. It's, it makes them who they are and what they are. And so this polite please is not going to work because they do not care. That's a scary the, truth, but I, but I agree. And, and I see this. I'm just going to point to my home state of Utah. Um, the governor is making calls and, and locking things down and, and, and upping the coercion to bring people into compliance for, for his version of what has to happen with COVID. And he absolutely is unapologetic for, for the damage done, uh, for, for the lack of scientific um, backing or uh, proof that this is even having any kind of effect on slowing the spread of this virus. And and it's it's just it's dismissive. You know, he and the lieutenant governor, they turn off their cell phones. They don't answer emails. And yet uh, they get incensed and other people get incensed when when protesters stand out, stand outside their homes with signs saying you're destroying our lives. You're preventing us from making a living. So I think you're accurate when you say they don't fear us. And, and, and some people think, well, just the mere act of being outside their home is a threat. In what world do you live that your presence poses a threat to someone who is using their authority to destroy your life. I, I'm just curious how that works. And, and, and if, if there is a threat involved, how can we not see the threat of state force or coercion being used against people who have harmed no one, but just for the sake of, well, we have to do something, um, you know, we're going to, we're just going to roll the dice and, and shut this down and shut that down and tell you to social distance, call off, you know, Thanksgiving. I'm sorry. That's a pretty one way street. And it totally inverts the relationship that I know you've pointed out before, which is they work for us. But we've lost sight of that. And so they are, uh, how can I put this, insufficiently impressed at the source of their power, which is we the people. And we are seeing a consistent escalation of that. You know, we, we talk about COVID as being a test case. And not going down the conspiracy theory route, which I'd never like to do, but I do believe that there is a purposeful mythology that they are using to say, let's escalate a little bit more. Let's escalate a little bit more. Let's see how much more we can push. And, I, and I'm, I'm telling you, when you get to the point that they say, okay, we are going to incarcerate legal, you know, legally abiding citizens who have done nothing wrong. We are going to incarcerate them into their homes. I think that that's a pretty big escalation, and they got away with it. Let's just face it. They got away with it. They hit it like they always do, but we should be very afraid that that they have gotten to that point because 
they're not going to stop there. And, and, and where this really gets to the point where I wanted to push is they are now talking about mandatory vaccinations. And, and I have heard conversations saying something like, if you don't come in to your job and present them with a certificate saying that you were vaccinated, they don't let you come to work. Boy, yeah. does that sound like something we've been discussing for a long, long, long time? You know, I uh, see it coming, too. And, and, and again, I'm going to come back to the question. This is this is why you and I are talking. So what do we do about it? You know, violence in the street is not an option to me. I'm not I'm not ready to go and visit violence on people, even though I think that they're wrong. And I think that, uh, you know, at, at some level, I'm justified in defending myself. But I, but I'm not to the point where violence is the key. I, I'm struggling to wake up the people who, for some reason, have this curious, fatal blindness to what's being done to them and actually are grateful. It's like they have Stockholm syndrome and they identify with their their kidnapper or, you know, the, the person who's holding them hostage more so than they identify with their own sense of uh, my my freedoms or, and self-determination are being taken from me. Well, and then this gets into the point of the comfort zone and the wrong thinkers and my lens theory that I was talking about and that that lens is very distorted. So what we need is a minority. We don't need everybody, but we need a large enough group that says, I am willing to escalate. Now, there is a difference between escalating the argument and violence. You don't have to threaten necessarily, although in today's world, saying you're wrong is threatening. Right. So we have to just get over that. But, you know, you don't have to be violent. You don't have to break laws. You don't have to get on their property or things like that. But I do see us needing to escalate our resistance to this. And, and, and the process that has always been successful is those people, those small groups that went into, like the blacks going into white-only restaurants and sitting down. They didn't do anything. They went in, they sat down, and they said, we want to be served. And everybody attacked them, and everybody got mad at them and did all those other things with Called it. them names, <laughs> right? Yes. But it made the news. It got the thing out there. And, and, you know, over time, that public opinions had to change. And what I am getting at is that we need to do something different outside of our comfort zone to start saying this is wrong. Right now... Everybody is going along with this. But like with everything else, over time, if you keep saying it, if you keep pointing out the truth, eventually everybody wakes up and goes, oh, hey, wait a second. We should be changing. Agreed. And I guess what we're trying to do right now is, well, it's twofold. We're trying to wake people up to uh, the fact that what's happening is not a proper function of government. It's not consistent with uh, with government that is governing with the consent of the governed. These things are being done without the consent of the people whose lives are being affected negatively. But there's also uh, a duty that we have to make a principled stand. And as you pointed out, it means that you have got to be willing to swim against the tide because right now it's clear a majority of people are scared out of their minds and, and they're behaving irrationally. And I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds judgmental or if it sounds condescending, but uh, we don't do our best when we're operating from a position of fear. 
and fear makes it easier for those who are power seekers and opportunists to hack our brains. So if you're not if you're not able to deal with the discomfort of being called names or misunderstood or maligned or otherwise misrepresented, you're going to have a really hard time making any kind of an effectual stand for your freedom, no matter how peaceful you happen to be. Yeah, so we discuss the what when we come back from the break. Let's start discussing the how. how I'm, I'm with you. Let's do it. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. I think we can all safely agree, Gary, we see the problem. Maybe we even understand the problem, but how do we go about fixing it? What do you recommend? So this came up actually um, in a conversation that I was having with someone. And I was talking about focusing on local elections that we all are, you know, like right now, everything is on the president. But when you really look at it, let me just, you know, just ask the audience, what has President Trump done himself that has had a major impact on your life? When you really look at it, the things that are really impacting our lives usually come from our local government. If you look at just look around at what is happening to your life, whether that is they're tearing up your street or they're adding a a mall to it or your taxes or your sewer bills or, you know, just all these things. Or if you own a business, anyone, you know, anybody who's owned a business in any state, I don't care where it's at. When you went to do that, you went through that process of starting a business, all the hoops you had to jump through. I remember like when I, I first did it, my first business was in Washington State. And it was like a two-week process just to get a business going. It was ridiculous the amount of forms and people I had to see and the people I had to pay to get it done. And so your local governments have this major impact. But here's the other thing. When it comes to nullification – what would happen if we focused on our local governments, our city governments, our county governments, especially, and just went into those two organizations, escalate the argument and just get them involved, get them in, in part of this and saying, look, join with me in saying we are not going to do this. Your county sheriffs are the same boat. And where this came from was the covid crisis here in Utah State. They passed all these laws. They passed all these rules. They passed all the, well, they didn't pass laws. They passed all regulations. But here's the kicker of it. They never fined anybody. They never arrested anybody. They just made threats. And when people stood up and said, no, nothing happened. I like that. They, they, there you go. So what would happen? And this was my argument. What would happen if, let's say, in the, in the state of Utah, Government Herbert comes out and says, I'm shutting everything down. And every city and every county government said, no, you're not. 
oh, you could try, but we're not going to enforce it. And the county sheriff said, yeah, I'm not doing it. And all the police department said, I ain't going to enforce it. What happens? It just goes away. It fades into irrelevance. And it establishes a process that we can use over and over again. And one of the things that happens is if you do this ahead of time, here's one of the cool things about government. Like if they're sitting there talking about mandatory vaccinations, we need to start the resistance now because we can actually prevent it from even ever happening where we don't even have to stand up against it by just simply saying, if you try to pass something like that, it's going to go bad for you and you're going to look bad and you're going to look like the paper tiger that you really are. And, and I think that the, the government fears something like that more than anything else, because what happens then is the people start reasserting their authority. And then here is the other side of this. It's much easier to have campaigns and get local officials elected. It's not a multi-million dollar process to get elected on your city council. And if we started pushing that, electing the right people in local elections and saying, look, we want to push our people into these positions, it's it's not like I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier to get these individuals doing that. And then that's how the revolution starts, a peaceful, very peaceful revolution of simply counties and cities going, hey, guys, we're not doing this. It's unconstitutional. It's illegal. It's it's beyond your authority. And we're just going to simply tell you, no, the Gandhi, Martin Luther approach of, hey, all we have to do is just use one word, say no, and everything stops. It really is the most powerful and most overlooked word around. Are are you familiar by chance with Etienne Delaboite? You ever heard that name? Yeah, but remind me, remind me what, what it was that he said. The Discourse on Voluntary Servitude. Written back in yeah. the 1500s. This was an 18-year-old student. He was a, I believe he was a contemporary of Montaigne. So, I mean, we're talking Renaissance times, you know. This this was a, this young student. But um, he wrote this incredible discourse. You can find it online. It's not a very difficult read. I mean, it's, it's obviously there's some pretty good brain power for an 18-year-old kid who wrote this. But essentially, he's making the case that you're making, and that is when you withdraw your consent... You do it peacefully, but without that consent, without that support, he says the tyrant topples like the Colossus of old because that consent is what holds them up. So you don't go out there with your pitchforks and torches. You don't go meet them head on on the battlefield. You simply pull your hands away and step step back from them. And without their consent, without your consent, they cannot continue to stay in power. And this so impressed, uh, I think it was... Uh, Tolstoy, that he took the basic tenets of uh, Etienne Delaboite's essay written in the 1500s and put those into his letter to a Hindu, which Gandhi later read and implemented those same things in peacefully kicking the British out of India. And I only mention this because, look, you know, this was an essay an 18 year old kid wrote back in the mid 1500s. Don't discount little things to have the ability to have far-reaching impact on far greater things when good ideas or good principles are properly applied. Our founding fathers based this country on the concept 
that politicians should fear. Uh, and, and we use this. We say, well, that's wrong and whatnot. But that is really what they said. They wanted the government officials to fear the people, that they were always in fear that the people would be able to, to you know, get rid of them and get announced them at any one time. And everything that they did was tried to base that of creating a, a society that was based on the people controlling and having the power and the politicians have feared in that. And that goes directly into that, that area of consent is because we have consented our power away that they now have it. And this is just a method of getting it back that doesn't require millions of dollars. It doesn't require millions of voters. It requires thousands of people. And this is what I'm, I'm trying to say. Wrong thinkers become a wrong thinker first so that you can join the movement. And then once you join the movement, be, the wrong thinkers are the people who act, not who talk, not to gripe, but who actually act and say, OK, let's go about changing our local governments. Let's go about causing these these that I will not consent to your tyranny type of 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 of, of, of process and having people like yourself, Brian, who get on the radio waves and, and start putting out that message to everyone saying, look, everybody. As soon as we withdraw our consent from them, this whole thing stops. Agreed. I, I'll tell you, Gary, the most frustrating thing for me, and I know this is true for others who are in, in you know, a similar position to me, trying to, to sound a voice of warning without sounding like Chicken Little. But I believe that so many of the lockdowns and the, the mentality that goes into them or is, is behind them is about conditioning. I don't think it's about protecting people's health. I think we are being taught to accept these lockdowns for some um, ethereal greater good. And, and it may be COVID right now, but uh, look, you know, Biden's chomping at the bit. Uh, he's saying, when I become president, why climate is going to be a huge, huge, you know, focus. So, yeah, why not? Why don't we lock people down for the climate? No traveling outside your permitted zone. Uh, you can't re- you can't drive over this many miles per week. Uh, those climate numbers aren't looking good, folks. I'm sorry. We're going to have to extend the lockdown here. And if uh, you need to visit your family, just do it with Zoom. You don't need to be there to see them. That would have sounded crazy a year ago. But after what we've seen for the last, you know, eight months, that sounds almost feasible, doesn't it? Yes. And and it will be until somebody – see, that's the th- kind of thing of the – I guess you'd call it the herd mentality is everybody goes along to get along and we live our lives and we just move along with it. Like, yeah, yeah, it bothers me until somebody stands up and raises their hand and says, wait, 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 this is wrong. And then all of a sudden people wake up, you know, but one of the things I guess we can, and we'll talk about this again is, is patience of, of the, having that ability of saying, look, this is not going to happen overnight. It's not. And and people who are, are wanting to make a difference have got to be in this for the long haul. Uh, that, that idea that we can solve this in 22 minutes with time for commercials? Um, no. <laughs> this may take generations, actually, to get everything, you know, back on track. But the point is, it can be done. Somebody just has to be, has to be willing to make a start and then see it through. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. Gary Welsh is my guest. We are talking about solutions. I know, you're hearing a little complaining. It's mostly me complaining about uh, the stuff that's going on. But Gary is uh, laying out some very viable solutions. And, and Gary, I want to come back to something you, you touched on, and that is got to have patience. The work that is ahead of us is not something that's going to be um, solved quickly. Look at how long it took us to get into the situation that we're in. I don't think it would be reasonable to think, yeah, 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 we can have this fixed within a, you know, a week, a few days, tops. And I've made this argument several times in that this is one of the things where the socialists have been very, very smart about in the liberals. You know, a hundred years ago, a small group of individuals got together and said, how are we going to move the United States into socialism? And they laid out a plan and they realized in laying out that that plant in laying out that plan, it was going to take a hundred years to do, but they were okay with it. I remember, you know, the story of Hillary Clinton going up before the uh, Democratic Committee in, in the 1990s and saying, here's how we're going to promote universal health care, and it's going to take us 10 years to do it. That kind of thinking is, is an understanding that large crowds don't move fast. And, and we live in a society where that instant gratification is all there. And, and I think one of the things about us on that liberty conservative side of things is we don't have the patience to understand that this is going to take 10 years. But here's where the really hard part comes in, Brian. And that is people like yourselves and the wrong thinkers. We have to stand up and say, this is wrong. And everyone's going to shout back and say, no, you're wrong. Yep. You're a bad person. You're, you're insane. You're wrong. <laughs> yes. And we have to have that courage to still keep on saying, nope, I'm going to keep pushing this. I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep saying it until you get it right. And one of the things that I like pointing out to you, because this is a kind of a thing that really involves us on the liberty conservative side, was the Iraq war. When that first started, remember all those people that came out? Remember that mom? I can't remember her name, but her son died in the war. I do. And she made a big thing. And look at all the criticism she got and the people that hated her and, and discounted her. Well, five, six years later, guess what? I think the vast majority of us are saying, yeah, that was a mistake. You're, I, I'm sorry, lady, but your kid did die in vain. That was not a righteous war. That was not the right thing to do. Our government leaders were wrong to do that. But that that took a long time and a lot of hatred and and you know vitriol was put on them. But that is the the courage needed by wrong thinkers to say, you know what, I'm strong enough to take it and be that voice. Well, and and I like that you just said what you said about uh, I'm strong enough to take it. Um, we have got to become anti-fragile. And I'm talking at the individual level. Uh, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine who is a, a state trooper just a, a few weeks ago. And and he, one of the things he was talking about was uh, the importance of people having um, resilience, mental toughness to be able to get through difficult times or challenging situations. And he knows a few things about challenging situations because he's seen a few things over his career. And it really got me thinking about, uh, okay, how do we do that? I mean, I, I, I'm not going to make any kind of, you know, a, a 
thing about, oh, yeah, you know, I've got the mental toughness. I honestly don't know. I want to think that I could do it, but I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on how a person can develop the, the kind of resilience that uh, that allows them to do those things that are hard and to persevere, even if they're not getting results immediately? I do know that it does start with conviction. You have to be absolutely convinced that you are right and willing to take those criticisms and those arguments and not believe them. And, and and I was bringing up in a Facebook example with Brian off the air where, you know, we get on Facebook and we put our comments out there and then you get these 20 people, you know, the trolls that come on and attack you and we wither. We, we go, well, OK, everybody hates that idea. It's wrong. No, it's just those 20 idiots that were on Facebook on that <laughs> at that time that didn't. You don't know what the other 350 million people think. You just know what those 20 people, but because of that, you know, we don't get that instantaneous, you know, confirmation that we were right. We kind of wither out. So that conviction is saying, I don't care that you say I'm wrong. I know I'm right. And, and in knowing that you're right, it's because you are basing it on strong foundations. That's a, that's an absolute critical part. Hitler thought he was right, but you know, the, the difference was he didn't have a firm foundation that he was going on, that he was working off of. And we are working off a very firm foundation of liberty, freedom, individual rights. That is a very, very firm foundation. I can feel very confident in saying, look, as long as I'm standing on that side of the line, I'm standing on the right side. It's not the same thing as asserting I'm right about everything, so shut up. You know, there's there's, uh, every person I know who is a person of conviction is also a person who has a degree of humility. And, and that's what tempers that conviction. That's what keeps them from being arrogant. But, you know, on the one hand, some people are like, well, you've got to keep an open mind. And it's, yeah, you do. But there comes a point, you know, some people go around so open minded, they never really can commit to anything. They, they wander around in a constant state of indecision. Well, you know, what could it be? Truth is relative. Your truth isn't my truth. That kind of stuff. I'm just saying at some point, it's OK to commit to the truth. And to hold to that truth until something comes along that either adds to it or clarifies it to where it's necessary to adjust your point of view. And there's nothing wrong with being a person who has that kind of conviction. It doesn't mean you're being inflexible. It just simply means that somewhere along the line, you paid the price to understand what you understand. And I love how you put it. You know, that's that's not something somebody can take away from you. If you have if you won that battle. You don't have to prove anything to anybody else because you've already defeated your biggest foe. And that is the person looking back at you from the mirror. Right. But here's the thing. So there are those that have that courage and have that conviction and have that fortitude to go. But there's others who do not. And and for those of you that say, okay, I recognize my weakness. I recognize I'm not that type of person for whatever reason. I don't want to stick my neck out. That doesn't mean that you don't do nothing. You can act too, but you have to act in a, in a much softer way, per se, and work in groups. And here's, here's the point that I would like to make. Again, getting back to our local governments. What if the city council holds a meeting and 50 of you guys show up there? 
not a thousand at a rally that's in a park that nobody's going to cover and nobody's going to look at and whatnot. You show up at that city council meeting and you make your voices heard to those city council people saying you are not going to support this. You are not going to back this. And we want you to vote right now to, to, to make that happen or right away type of deal. Push that agenda. That's something you can do. It doesn't really push you too much out of your comfort zone, but that's something that you can do as a wrong thinker to help change attitudes, to help change actions that are done. And and walking in and just simply going like, I want you to pass a resolution that says that if they pass a mandatory vaccination, you will not enforce it. Just do something like that. You can do that. No, and and frankly, it is at the it's at that local level that you're seeing some of these things take place. I think about the uh, sheriff down in Iron County, Utah, who uh, made it very clear: my deputies are not going to go out there and enforce health dictates. They're not. That's not their job. He put the responsibility right back on the people. If you want to, if you want to take responsibility for your health, you got to be the one to step up and decide whether or not you wear the mask, whether or not you gather in groups of this big or that small. And of course, it, it, it provoked some outrage. There were people who immediately were wishing he would get COVID and die and things like that. But it doesn't take very many local leaders, or for that matter, local you know people being active, to send the message that this isn't going to fly here. Although I got to tell you, I'm a little bit concerned in in some areas. I've noticed uh, public officials, uh, this happened in Utah County. uh, They were concerned that people showed up to question some of these mandates that they were trying to put into into effect. And they started immediately citing, you know, safety concerns, health concerns, and just shut the meetings down. Yeah, Tanner Ainge, I'm looking your your direction. (laughs) Yeah, and, and that's the thing. That's the commitment part. You show up all the time. And then just realizing that we make change. So every two years, there's an election and be patient to say, okay, two years, we get these people elected. Two years later, we get these people elected. Two years later, we get these people elected. Six years from now, we finally got a majority. Okay. Gary, I know you are a tireless uh, worker in the field of liberty. Keep up the good work. Let's get together again next week and we'll have more to discuss, I'm sure. Looking forward to it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.